Welcome to the Life Curation Podcast. I'm your host, Andrina Tisi. Together, we will explore thoughts, inspirations, and conversations that feed our soul, spark the mind, and nourish the body. Thank you so much for being here to learn and grow and for walking this journey called life with me. Welcome to another episode of the Life Creation Podcast. Today I am sharing a conversation that I had with Kathleen Bell. Kathleen works for Capacity, which is a talent and startup incubator for persons with refugee or migrant background. It is their mission to build a society that is open and supportive of everyone, regardless of their background. They foster refugee and migrant talent so that people can realize their potential and achieve socioeconomic inclusion in Switzerland. And Kathleen is their communication associate and volunteer manager. And she is a storyteller by nature. She loves to share stories of resilience as widely as possible. And we talk about the healing aspect of shared story quite a bit in our conversation. And throughout our conversation, you will learn more about capacity and the powerful work they do. Towards the end of our conversation, Kathleen also shares her very powerful story and how coming into a circle and share stories really healed and helped her. I also really appreciated what she suggests how everyone can get involved to support people with a refugee or migrant background. And before we hop over to the conversation, a tiny bit more <laughs> about Kathleen. She was born just outside New York City and is a lifelong student of the intersection between creativity and social impact. In addition to obtaining degrees in both communication and global peace and justice, studies, she has contributed to both the nonprofit sector and the world of publishing for over 12 years. She is also a very gifted singer and songwriter, a painter, a podcaster, and a mother of two. So get inspired, listen in, and have fun. Kathleen, <laughs> welcome to the Life Creation Podcast. So nice for you to be here. Thank you for taking your time. 
Well, thank you for having me. It's really a pleasure to engage in these kinds of conversations and to get to know new people. Always a pleasure. Excellent. So I just gave you a little bit the forewarning of the icebreaker questions. <laughs> so I'm just going to ask you, what is your star sign? My star sign, I am an Aries, but I don't feel like an Aries. They always seem so belligerent and, and pushy. Hmm. I don't feel like I'm that, but I'm, but I am kind of impulsive. So I, but you know your rising sign? Uh, well, I'm the 28th of March, so I'm kind of an early Aries. So yeah. what's right before it is, uh, well, rising sign is like with your time of birth and place of birth. You can calculate. Ah, yeah. I, it's the sort of thing I get, yeah, that, that, but I'm like, what is it? I should learn that. But yeah, yeah. It may give you some insight. You feel like, oh, that's why. <laughs> that, yeah. Yeah. That's good. It's a good point. <laughs> What is your favorite season? I love the seasons of change. Um, and I, although I love autumn a lot, I have to give it to spring as my really ultimate favorite because I'm a spring baby. So of course there's bias there. Um, but I just love seeing my favorite flower crocuses just poking through the snow. And to me, it's just this ultimate sign of resilience that mm -hmm. look what we can keep doing as a, as a planet uh, and by extension us as people, you know, just keep pushing through, keep going and keep letting the beauty come out of hiding. So I have such a soft spot for spring. Me too. I love it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we talked, we just talked um, about New York before, you know, recording. I learned to love the fall in North America. But yeah. here in Switzerland, I really do love the spring more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The color is is extraordinary in on the East Coast of the US. Yeah. Um, here it's, there are other extraordinary things. Let's exactly. put it that way. <laughs> Which book is currently on your nightstand? Which book is on my nightstand? I have a wonderful, for, for the longest time, I was into self-help. Um, until last year, I mean, and I've read some, I've read some objectively just really wonderful books and I've read some awful <laughs> books, but, um, I'll, but last winter, yeah, around new year's, I, I res resolved within myself to take a break <laughs> from yeah. self-help. Um, I've helped myself enough for a while and, and, uh, focused just on just embracing stories. Mm. And so I, the book of my nightstand is called two Hitlers in a Maryland. Mm. And it's about someone who he shares all these stories of collecting autographs. And it's, it's really, it's not profound at all. <laughs> I used to think that I should always be consuming profound material mm. and this new realization of like, Oh, I actually don't have to work so hard all the time. Totally. It's so revelatory in its own sense. So yeah, that is my something chill I love that yeah something chill and I think it's something just to just to consume right mm -hmm. yeah just to to enjoy walking in someone else's shoes for a little bit yeah. I don't like to think of it as escapism because I don't find that I'm necessarily escaping anything um but it's a it's a it's an empathy exercise I believe that's what all good storytelling and and story reception embracing is it's, it's empathy exercise Oh, we're going to get into that. 
But I do have one more question. <laughs> well, I have many okay. questions, but in terms of the icebreaker, what's, uh-huh. always, in your, what's always in your refrigerator? Oh, it's always in my refrigerator. Do you, um, well, it depends on if we're talking about my kids or me, <laughs> because yeah, my you. kids, they, they can't live without their peanut butter. Uh, what else? Or yeah, as my, as my six-year-old calls it, peanut butter. Um, but, <laughs> but for me, it's ginger beer. I mm-hmm. love ginger beer and it's, it, and sometimes I have, it, yeah, I can have upset stomachs sometimes and there's nothing like a, a wonderful cold bottle of ginger beer to just make everything feel better i love ginger beer i tried to make it myself but it wasn't so (gasps) that sounds like a great endeavor though it is but yeah i wasn't successful (laughs) it was still it was still it was worth it sounds like it was still worth trying absolutely absolutely so you touched on storytelling and you mentioned the word empathy and for you, what is the power of shared stories? Oof, how long have you got? <laughs> you have time. I, I could, honestly, I feel like so much of what I strive to do in this lifetime is response, is in response to that. Mm-hmm. So the power of shared stories, it is I mean, there's such a ripple effect because there's the, the effect that the sharing of a story has upon the story sharer, the storyteller. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm a big believer in what can happen, what can catalyze wit from within when a story is shared. But then there's all these incredible ripple effects, uh, the, the ripples of, of uh, what happens when a story is shared is that someone feels seen maybe for the first time. Someone feels... Uh, encouraged or empowered to dare to say something that they've maybe never felt safe enough to say. Um, And someone is seeing something from that, from a particular vantage point for the first time, or is remembering something that has gone forgotten. I mean, it can be any number of these possible eventualities. Um, whether you're, yeah, whether you're being reminded of something so fundamental and, and important that's gone forgotten, or it's being exposed to something for the first time. And I think we're all going to experience those things over and over again. I, I, I like to think of life as a spiral. You know, we're just constantly circling back to similar things, but just growing upward or growing inward, whatever, whatever, yeah, direction you want the spiral to take. I don't think there's a wrong answer, but Gosh, shared stories, they, they do so much. And I believe that so much of what it is to be human mm-hmm. is contained therein, is contained in the sharing of our stories. Um, and there are so many other potential effects. I mean, how many products are bought and sold because of stories? Yeah. How many, uh, yeah, how many hours and hours of beautiful or stupid or somewhere in between uh, pieces of entertainment or art or content are consumed or created or consumed that, that stem from story. I mean, there, there's just, it's, it's, it's kind of endless <laughs> what, what the power of shared stories and it, and it, and it's all stems from just this idea or this experience and this decision 
to express it, mm-hmm. whatever that means for you. And I, I, I'm a fir- also a firm believer that story is not limited to words or, um, yeah, to, to, yeah, yeah, to words. I, it's, it is brushstrokes. It's sound waves. It is the way we move our bodies. You know, think of a dancer, how, how much storytelling is possible within a, a dancer's body, um, or piece. Yeah. A piece of music, uh, it's, it is the most spacious. Um, it is such a spacious experience and a spacious welcome to express, to see and to be seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and I think, <clears throat> you know, in, in regards to your work with capacity and you know the refugee and the the migrants it's just i could imagine that there is so much belonging that can happen with those shared stories and this concept of like oh i'm not alone absolutely so what we've found and through our through the work that I do with Capacity, which is a startup incubator and a talent incubator for people with refugee or migrant experience, which is kind of a, a, ling- a language shift that we strive for, which is t- totally okay. I understand why I, I also sometimes say refugee or migrant as a label, but I'm learning to shift my language uh, towards people mm-hmm. with this lived experience. So we work with people who have experienced being a migrant or being a refugee. and often those who who are a newcomer to yeah to, who who are choosing to build a life in a new place whatever that means or whatever that, that what's whatever the backstory is um it can be really lonely yes and it can be really discouraging mm-hmm. because uh whether it's fighting to be perceived as legitimate whether it's fighting to find your place, uh, whether that's at the boardroom or at the playground with the other, you know, moms and kids, uh, in the classroom, uh, belonging is, a for, for those experience, uh, going through that experience, belonging is often something that you have to fight for, uh, or really work hard to be given and it's not given very freely <laughs> if yeah, I'm being taken honest. away it was taken away yeah, it was taken away um and the those who I work with it may have been taken away by the big names that we see on the news like the Taliban uh or or in, in recent months Putin um and it can also be much more complex and much less less spoken about entities like civil wars that have been going on for so long that people don't talk about them anymore or and and sometimes it's it's on a more microcosmic level of domestic violence or yeah really unsafe family situations uh or just 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 economic disparity that 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 we've gotten so used to and 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 it, it's so part of what we think the, is part of the way things are um, that it takes extraordinary work to change it on a systemic level. So we see the full spectrum of, 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 of folks who are uh, 
living with the effects of these different outcomes. But what we also see, so there's a lot of diversity, but there's also a lot of commonality in that a lot of folks who arrive um, in a new place are really doing their due diligence to try and integrate. Um, but to do so and to survive, it, there's often a lot of de-skilling. So, so taking roles that are beneath your level of experience or your skill set um, or your qualifications. And it can also look like just really not knowing what your resources are and not really knowing where, yeah, not really knowing where you belong on a social level either. And so what capacity really strives to do is to respond to all those pieces because it's not just enough to, to, to cobble together a, a way to generate an income and then send someone on their way and say goodbye. Um, belonging is more nuanced and layered than that. Um, we, we want to create a community. We, we have created a community <laughs> where people feel safe. And, and I'll tell you, a big part of that is storytelling. Mm-hmm. Big part of that is storytelling. Yeah, and I love what you touched on is that I think in recent years, you know, those, those names that you mentioned have been very much in the news and then we see it and everybody's kind of, very aware of it but there's so many things or stories that get forgotten and I think in there that's a story as well absolutely it's the story of us as a humanity why why did these stories get forgotten what what actions did we take what decisions did we take um to allow that to happen. And I like to think of it also on the other, on the other hand, what efforts are we as a society taking now to unsilence or, 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 or turn the volume back up yes. on those stories? And a lot of that is about creating spaces which are safe enough to in which those stories can be told. So we have I have the good fortune in our programs. So we have a whole, as part of our incubation program experience, we have a whole curriculum. Mm -hmm. And so folks who come and join our programs either will do so as job seekers or as entrepreneurs. And in both, we strive to create opportunities, not only to gain a lot of practical knowledge and to meet people, to be mentored by people with local know-how about how to best uh, leverage their experiences and, and achieve their goals in the Swiss context, um, but also we seek to create opportunities where stories can be told, either the individual story and how that factors into their professional life, their, their personal brand, so to speak. But for entrepreneurs, it's also the personal brand with relationship to their product or their service. And for us, uh, you know, there's a, there's a term that gets thrown around a lot of um, creating safe spaces. Yes. But we subscribe to a slightly different belief, which is that there's actually no such thing as a safe space. Like there's this beautiful poem that we use. I can I have it here um, written by Beth Strano that one of my amazing colleagues introduced to capacity where without going into the whole poem, what it describes is that actually there's no such thing on this planet as a truly 100% safe space. Mm. That, you know, we are all humans who make mistakes who will hurt somebody at least once in our life and we're going to be hurt. And, and so 
the best thing that we can do is work together in our own beautifully imperfect way to create a brave space. Mm-hmm. It's maybe safer than some of some, some of the other spaces around us, but where it's safe enough to be brave enough to talk about what you've been through. That's what we strive to create. And it's a space where stories stay inside and, but learnings get to leave. So I, you'll never hear me talking about uh, a person's story unless they expressly give their consent, yeah. but we learn, whew, we learn so much from these storytelling circles, these migration circles that we can, that we conduct with our participants. And, and that is really part of our DNA as capacity mm-hmm. is the power of story and the power of creating safer, braver spaces to be ourselves. Yeah. And the word resilience comes in from mm-hmm. you, right? And I think with bravery, and I've been also <laughs> thinking about those two words of brave and courageous. And I think it's such a interesting distinction but um i think resilience is then also such a big part of those stories and the experience and um the word the other word that comes in is empowerment and i would like for you to talk a little bit about that and your your experience with that as well as <laughs> um creativity because what i hear is, you know, there's also, on one hand, of course, there's this empowerment that you, you know, the people kind of get with capacity. Um, that's what I, that's what I hear. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, mm. And it, of course, also requires creativity to find the placement, the jobs, the the vision and the mission they have, you know, what entrepreneurships involves, right? And then, yeah, back to you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Andrea. Um, yeah, yeah, creativity is woven into every fiber of capacities being. And I think back to 20, late 2015, early 2016, when capacity came into existence and, you know, it was really a group of young, uh, of, of especially women, uh, migrant women who were themselves facing a lot of these discriminations, these challenges, these difficulties to, to feel that sense of, of full integration, full belonging, um, and, and took it upon themselves to create it for themselves and for so many more people. And so now seven years later, it's happening (laughs) and creativity has been there every step of the way. Um, There are, and and that can look like so many different things. I mean, along with that creativity comes a lot of patience Mm -hmm. because some, some projects, they, they take years of incubation, years of market research, of, of figuring out how things are going to, uh, how we can put the right things, the necessary things in place for something to, to become fully and effectively available for other people. Um, there's cre- the creativity that comes in collaboration and bringing really diverse minds who don't always see eye to eye. Um, how do we find creative solutions to those problems? Uh, we 
there are all, all kinds of challenges have arisen over time, whether it's in the pursuit of funding, whether it's in the pursuit of the, the human resources, you know, these essential ingredients that make up a team um, responding. And, and every year something new comes up, like mm-hmm. how to deliver a program as effectively in one language as in another. How can we do it in both at the same time? Um, this year, we're really starting to turn towards how can we deliver quality in a more agile, ongoing way, as opposed to something that has a really clear start and finish, or how can we make our programs more physically accessible for those with different abilities? Um, there's, there's always going to be a challenge. And so what I found is that for organizations such as ours, Part of that creativity um, is it's also curiosity and there's a willingness to face those challenges with an open heart, mm-hmm. uh, open eyes, and hopefully a bit of a smile to say, okay, mm-hmm. how are we going to walk through this? And yes, creativity is, it's there from start to finish. I mean, there's, there's no end in sight. I don't plan on there being an end in sight anytime soon, but um but capacity, yeah, capacity just lives and breeds creativity from what I, as far as I can tell. Mm-hmm. And I see that in every person. It's not just the team. It's every participant. It's every corporate volunteer. It's every sponsoring, sponsor or partner who works with us brings those qualities there. And we work together and we create something beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's not perfect, but it's beautiful. And I love how you, you know, kind of framing or, or yeah, framing creativity. And, you know, um, you're on another level, a very creative person with your singing and songwriting and all that. And we'll link your podcast in the show notes. Oh, people to that, of course. And um, what... I find so beautiful is that, and you know, that also ties a little bit back into, into my work with, you know, life creation. Mm-hmm. And for me, you know, one, one aspect is this, what we, what we know, the curator and, and in terms of the art world, right? Mm-hmm. And the other aspect of is the curing, the healing, the transformation. Mm-hmm. And all of this is such a creative process when I work with my clients and you know it has a lot also to do with this curiosity and possibility when we are faced with maybe a challenge right and instead of being like it's not gonna work (laughs) well how how is it gonna work right or how can we find a solution for whatever it's just coming our way absolutely so i would like to um go back a little bit to you know like you mentioned capacity was uh, founded in 2015 and seven years later and you know with the recent events which we um, briefly touched on what have you seen over those seven years have you seen um, big change? Do you feel like it's actually pretty similar? Um, 
Yes. So full disclaimer, mm-hmm. I uh, or full disclosure, I have only been on the team for under a year. Yes. I, I joined mm-hmm. Capacity back in September of 2021. Um, I It wasn't my first foray into the integration space. Mm-hmm. Um, I had heard a little bit about Capacity I because I live on the other side of the Roche Grave and I live in mm-hmm. Lausanne. Um, and so a lot of the incredible social impact initiatives done in Zurich uh, were not entirely on my radar. And, and so my understanding of the organization at large, well, it's still pretty new. It's still being pretty developed, but the advantage of that is that there are sometimes things that I can see that someone who's been there from the word go, Mm -hmm. um, may have forgotten about, you know, touching back upon this piece of, of what can sometimes be forgotten. And so I've had the privilege of, of getting to really, yeah, explore the work that capacity has done over the years when I'm helping them to generate an impact report, or I'm working on their social media, their communication strategy, which is part of the work that I do. And I have absolutely seen growth. Mm-hmm. I've seen growth in how many partners have chosen to commit uh, and to, to enter you know, a beautiful relationship with us as a, as a sponsor. I have seen the community grow from, you know, a handful of people to, you know, hundreds of people now Mm -hmm. of people. And I, and I have seen the profiles of those who came to capacity kind of on a whim, be it as a participant or as a volunteer or as a team member. And they're still around in the sense that some there's a secret sauce in this particular organization where people come and they keep coming back mm-hmm. because they see, they feel the sense of community. So we've had people go from volunteers to full, full uh, team members. We've had uh, par- former participants become uh, trainers and mentors to other current participants. We have seen coaches and corporate volunteers become board members. So we're seeing an expansion of commitment mm-hmm. that people really want to stick around and see this beautiful thing that we're building, see it through and see it onto bigger, uh, a larger scale. And the projects too, we're seeing that success is something that can be defined in so many different ways. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, so there are some, uh, well, our entrepreneurship program is the long, is our flagship program, whereas our our labor market integration programs are still relatively new. Um, But we have entrepreneurs who are still going with their, you know, with their ventures. Uh, they have shop fronts in the old town and you can find them in the markets and, or in their food trucks, they are, you know, they're out there and going strong, which is beautiful. And then there are those who have defined success in completely different ways, mm-hmm. who took everything that they learned in the entrepreneurship uh, container and were able to transfer it into a professional role. Because so much of what creates success in entrepreneurship is what's going to create success in the professional world, or even the corporate world. And that holds true for our corporate volunteers as well. 
that many of those who maybe joined as a volunteer with a little bit of like verging on burnout in their corporate work um, came back to their workplaces with this infused sense of entrepreneurship of let, how can I enact change or inspire change in my own place of work? Mm-hmm. And so by extension, companies are feeling like, wow, look at this beautiful new infusion of like justice and social impact that's coming in through the volunteering that our, that our guys are doing. So that is what seven years has done yeah. uh, overall. And, but that, and that doesn't even, that touches upon sort of the external vestige, uh, uh, metrics of success. Mm-hmm. But what's underneath that or at the heart of that are lives who've been impacted, lives who've been changed. And now hundreds of people, local and not local, who are feeling like they belong more than ever before. Yeah. Wow, thank you. I love that that impact. And I think... Um, you know, as human beings... And I think that becomes more and more important. We'd like to make an impact. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and I love that, you know, like past participants of your programs are kind of re part of the program again, right? As in a different role. And that's beautiful. And that actually leads me into. Um, my question towards access, which you have just literally, I mean, recording that we're recording this on May 25th. And if I'm correct, it, the pilot program ended on May 19th. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for doing your research. (laughs) I try. Um, So tell us about this pilot program. I'm super curious. Mm-hmm. I'll do the best I can. So mm-hmm. access has been a dream of the capacity team for since it's since the beginning of capacity. Mm-hmm. And now it is finally the pieces are in place for us to be able to have this on offer. And it has been such a delight to see it unfold. Um, and so for this particular program, our target uh, demographic, the people who we really seek to serve, are those uh, with experience as a refugee or migrant who have been searching for a job for a while, um, who come with tertiary level education, five plus years of experience. So, right, a lot to offer. And despite all of that absolutely good enough qualification, they're being sent the message that they're not good enough because they are in this cycle of apply, hope, get rejected, apply, hope, get rejected. And, and it's, it's a very discouraging cycle. I've been there. Um, I wonder how many of our listeners have, I, I think it's, it's, a yeah, we, it, it's very, very discouraging when we feel that. Um, and it's all the harder when your qualifications that you've worked very hard for, are for one reason or an, run one reason or another um, denied legitimacy by the Swiss uh, authorities. So what we seek to do in Axis is to really 
reinfuse each participant with the hope and the confidence that yes, they have so much to offer. Each participant gets paired with a corporate volunteer mentor who is really there in their corner, um, activating their own sense of leadership and their own professional development and, and really uh, whether it's introducing them to new people or, or suggesting different places where they can go, it's really trying to infuse their experience with more Swiss context. Um, and we, we offer support on how to maybe make slight alignments or adjustments in things like CV and letters and, and the general manner of communications that can appeal or align more to the Swiss context. But what's really important about AXIS is that this project, this curriculum was co-created with a, a whole slew of HR volunteers. And the reason why we brought them in was twofold. On the one hand, we really wanted to know straight from the horse's mouth, so to speak, uh, what do people like our participants need to do, to know, to be aware of, to achieve and attain success? in the Swiss labor market? And what does the Swiss HR sector need to know about this group of people? How can they grow in their sensitivity, their empathy, their patience, their humility, their awareness, um, their training, on and on and on, so that they can be more effective advocates for this highly undertapped talent pool. Mm -hmm. So for us, it was really essential to work on both sides of the table and to work with people who are ready to do that. Uh, so it was really a very fruitful experience. And this was only the pilot. Mm -hmm. So for the next iteration of the program, we're really excited to expand, to let the program stretch its legs a little more and to dig in deeper in terms of how can we further empower uh, our participants. So that is AXIS in its kind of, let's call it classic iteration. Like this is what we strove to do starting in uh, January, 2021. But of course, as you know, February, or sorry, 2022. But of course, as you know, February 2022 changed a lot of things. Mm. And now we are looking to implement and we have support to implement what we're calling Access Fast Track. So this is going to be uh, kind of the, we could say the little sister of the Access program. And this is going to be specifically for those who have not been out of the of the corporate or professional world for very long, who have, they haven't lost the confidence in the same way, you know, mm -hmm. they've, they, cause yeah. they had it recently. Yeah. They need an in yeah. the Swiss context. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be a program that's a little bit lighter on content, but heavier on it's going to, it's going to be a faster pace. And we're really going to, try to bust the doors open for as many people as we can in the most lean, agile, efficient way possible. So we can help the maximum amount of people because that's what's needed. Because according to studies and estimates, we have a thousand refugees entering Switzerland every day. Mm -hmm. So that high volume yeah. is going to require a high volume solution. And that's what we're prepared to do. Mm -hmm. And how does... 
you know, a person with refugee and migrant background find capacity and the support that you provide? Great question. So the best places to find us, um, the easiest place to reach out would be through our website. Um, so you can go to www.capacityzurich.ch um, and you'll find everything you need there. But um, an even more dynamic way to feel part of our community is through any of our social media platforms. So we are on Facebook, on Instagram, uh, and on LinkedIn. And we try to be as active as we can there. So you can just search capacity. Well, the best is to search capacity Zurich, but our official name is capacity. And um, we're, we're standing by. So we, we, we try to keep opportunities to engage as open as possible. Uh, we can't always guarantee that there's going to be an opening the moment someone reaches out to us because we are programmatic. We do have recruitment periods. So sometimes we may need to ask people to sit tight or to, to wait a couple months before applying. Um, but that by no means should um, slow them down from feeling like they are a part of this community. So, yeah, so but like, yeah, I mean, if somebody knows to search for capacity, you know, that's, that's great. But what if, I mean, somebody comes into Switzerland and doesn't even know where to start? Like, how do they, do you have, I don't know, partners in the sense of um, that they tell people who come into Switzerland that there is a support? Like is that, a, is there a government Entity? Absolutely. Yeah, okay. Absolutely. Yes, there is an integration office in every canton in Switzerland. And so the best place to, to go, I, I, I'm not going to use specific names because our listeners may be listening from many different places on both sides of the Rishti Kraben, even in the, in the Ticino, you know, so each place is going to have a slightly different name, but it's going to involve the word integration. Okay. And then there you partner with them. So those, those offices know about your programs. So then they can communicate to the people that there is different ways of getting support. Sure. Yes. Yes. We are. So we are the most known in the Canton of Zurich. That is the area where we do the most work, but we have benefited uh, participants coming from Luzern, uh, from Bern, even as far as Geneva people have, have chosen to participate. So there is, um, we do have a certain degree of breadth and we are one of the older uh, startup and uh, talent incubators in Switzerland. Mm -hmm. So yes, we're, we're around, <laughs> um, but uh, it's, it's, I'm so thankful for podcasts like yours where we can continue, continue to amplify this message and let more and more people know about us. Yeah, I mean, it's it's that's why I wanted to have you on because I think it's so important. Um, and going back a little bit towards the change over the last few years, um, and you know, you gave us such a good insight in terms of the organization itself. What have you noticed, or you know, you've been um, with capacity for a little bit over over a year, but I'm sure you know yourself you know, in terms of the demographic of the participants. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, hearing that number of a thousand people, wow. What have you noticed in, has it say the same? Does it come in waves? Does it, um, has it completely changed? Um, what have you noticed there? 
So history demonstrates to us that uh, moments of urgency are going to vary from place to place. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, we're seeing a, a, a high degree of urgency surrounding the Ukraine situation. Yeah. But has that made uh, the situation in Afghanistan less urgent, less important? Because, of course, that which is important may not always be perceived as urgent. Uh, but every human life and its defense and its protection urgent and important. So um, I I, I take those two as as kind of examples that people are probably familiar with, but um, what about someone fleeing Venezuela or Colombia? Mm -hmm. Um, Are these, these places might be less uh, in the public mind and eye at this moment, but there are still, there is still a high degree of inequity of injustice that is taking place there. And so what we found is from cohort to cohort, no, we're not seeing a particular influx from any particular place. We're finding that it's more serendipitous in a way that the people who show up for us are, are, are come from every corner of our planet, bearing in mind that we are going to prioritize those who are coming from a place or a situation that we're going to prioritize those coming from a certain degree of fragility, whether it's from the place they come from geographically or the situation that they're experiencing. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there it, it becomes about so much more than geography. Um, we find such a diverse group of human beings and what we're, what we've had the, the pleasure to discover cohort after cohort program after program is that, it doesn't really matter where someone comes from. What matters is how they're choosing to show up and what are the stories they're ready to tell? Because in the telling of those stories and in the activation of that courage and that action, then people from demographics, from every demographic are being inspired to create change in their own lives and in their own communities. Yeah, and we're right back at the story. So I love it. I love the circling back. And something that actually came came to mind to me is, um, you know, the power of, of shared stories, which we talked about, but also this um, there is this this term um, that that I use is expander. I didn't coin it. Um, it's it's from somebody else, but it's. It's pretty much an expander is somebody that you um, get inspired by. And it's also from the belief of, or the, not the belief, but the, um, the aspect of seeing to believe, mm. right? So if I have an aspiration or a hope or whatever it is, and I see somebody with maybe a similar story, back to the story, doing this already, my system, my entire system recognizes that it's possible for me too. Yep. And right. And we know that with like world records broken in sprinting and for not for years. And then suddenly one person break, like breaks their world record. And then like two weeks later, it gets broken constantly because suddenly people see to believe that it's possible. Right. Absolutely. So I think there is, um, a lot of power in that. And then again, it doesn't matter like what you said, where, where they're from. And then it becomes such a diverse 
community. Mm-hmm. It becomes a community in which everyone belongs. Yeah. Yeah. And that's super powerful. It is. And if you, if, um, uh, in the spirit of storytelling, I'd be happy to share a personal story uh, that connects with my experience and capacity and, and how I felt like I belonged. So I have been living in Switzerland for 10 years now, but the majority of that time uh, was not, it wasn't blissful, let's put it that way, in the sense that the impetus for my arriving to Switzerland was the arranged marriage that I had been a part of. So I grew up in what I would call a cult or a high control religious group that encouraged arranged marriages. And I was, I kid you not, in a room in South Korea of my own volition. But to be fair, you were kind of, it was kind of, you were shamed if you didn't do some version of this. I was in a room in South Korea, 200 people, And this South Korean man, Sun Young Moon, um, a self-proclaimed messiah, just walked around the room pointing his finger, you and you, you and you. And we believed that he was working on God's behalf and um, that whoever whoever we would get matched up to was going to be our soulmate or our, you know, kind of our life assignment, so to speak. And... um, I got matched with this Swiss guy and built my whole life. I I had treated my life like a blank slate. I was just going to mold it or, you know, just lump of clay. I was just going to mold to fit this other person. I I really avoided having my own dreams and volitions. Um, I regret that a lot, but thankfully I'm making up for lost time now, but (laughs) for years and, and the decision to come to Switzerland was motivated by this sense. I have to mold myself to this other person. And I, while I think people who meet each other via arranged marriages can have successful marriages, um, it really does depend on what you bring to the table. And in my case, what was brought to the table wasn't particularly healthy. And so I experienced domestic violence. I spent uh, a big part of my integration here in Switzerland was living in a domestic violence shelter. I learned the language, the local language really fast that way uh, by living, you know, in a shelter with several people uh, and just our kids running around all the time. And honestly, living in the women's shelter was the first time that I ever started to feel like I had resources and and safety mm-hmm. that I could co-construct with professionals and, and safe people. But then, so that from a psychological standpoint, I really started to, to cultivate safety, but what that didn't respond to was a job. I needed a job. And so for a long time, I couldn't find one because I hadn't had a professional, um, my, my career had, there was a big gap in my CV, uh, which I know a lot of people, particularly women, uh, know quite intimately what that feels like. And it's not something to be ashamed of, but it is really hard to work with, (laughs) objectively speaking. It's challenging. And what I chose to do was to volunteer here, there, and just do what I can. And slowly, slowly, people started to know who I was. They started, my talents and my my heart started to speak for themselves in terms of the, the, the work I would produce. And people started talking about me. And 
um, after a couple of years, uh, this email came into my inbox from a wonderful human named Anastando, who said, I think you might, you might want to consider applying for this role. I've heard good things about you. I applied for the role, um, ended up getting it alongside one of my favorite humans, one of my colleagues. We both applied for the same job. They realized they needed both of us and they took us both. Um, yeah, and I remember my first day on the job after going through all this challenging stuff, I was thinking, are they going to like me? Am I really going to be able to do this job? Um, or am I just one great big imposter? Mm-hmm. And the first event I got to have the privilege to be a part of my first day on the job was one of these migration circles that I mentioned at the beginning of our call of our conversation together, where we have this like storytelling circle and uh, my colleague who hired me said, would you be willing to share a bit of your story? And, you know, as someone, as a cult survivor, there's often this sense of I'm too weird <laughs> for other people. I am, I am not going to fit in and I better hide this piece of me. Um, but in choosing to share it, this remarkable thing happened. Um, I had folks who escaped really challenging situations that I can't even imagine come to me and say, wow, I can, I resonate with your story so much. Tell me more. And I was like, wait, hold on. You think my story is amazing. I think your story is amazing. And there, and then thus, you know, set us off on this beautiful journey of realizing that all of us have something remarkable to share. There's no hierarchy of special or of human or of lovability. There's no hierarchy. We all have contained in our stories, we all have something beautiful and shareable and mentionable and worthy of being loved. And so my first day on the job, I got to experience that and I got to be that for someone else. And the, and the vehicle for that was our stories. Mm-hmm. So I love that from that day, day one on the job, that hasn't stopped the storytelling has continued, whether it looks like a social media post or a team meeting or a presentation or a conversation with a potential partner. Stories are what bring us together. And it has a really good track record for us at Capacity. And I look forward to doing that, whether it's with Capacity or in other opportunities for the rest of my life. I just can't think of another of a better way to live life. Thank you so much for sharing your story. It's very touching. And um, there's so much healing in that, in your experience, right? With, again, (laughs) shared story. Um, To wrap it up, um, you know, people listening, you know, in, in your experience with capacity, but also in the situation you were in, you know, kind of being on, on, on both sides as well. What can somebody do to help and support if they want to? And I know you have volunteer opportunities and we can, of course, link that as well, you know, with, of course, the entire website. But besides that, um, yeah, what, what do you feel is really beneficial? I have some very good news. 
<laughs> um, to every listener partaking in this conversation with us, my good news to you is my ultimate recommendation is something you're already doing. That And that is listening. Listening is such an underrated superpower that we can extend to ourselves, we can extend to each other, and that we can extend to this, to those who have gone through this particular lived experience. Wow, is listening an incredible tool when we do it not to in preparation for a response, but in in mindfulness and in readiness to listen, to understand, not trying to um, speak on the other person's behalf, but really, really listening in. Wow. If you come across someone who has experienced migration um, and who is undergoing integration of any sort right now, one of the easiest things you can do is to listen. So that's the good news. I'm going to also issue a challenge because listening is a great place to start, but it's not the place to finish involvement in this work. It's only the starting point. It's only the springboard. My invitation or my dare to each listener of this episode is look for the opportunity that listening gives you. Once you've done that brave listening, Look for the opportunity to take brave action in in a way that makes sense for your life right now. Does it look like sharing whenever possible stories on your social media about the injustices as well as the beautiful things that are happening? Because we need both. We need to talk about both. Um, So sharing stories, amplifying stories is a powerful thing. Uh, Do you have time to volunteer? Sure, let's do it. Let's find opportunities for you to leverage your beautiful ta- talents and skills uh, in the service of someone else, which um, if you may have gathered from my story, it may very well end up helping you too. And if you've got, and, and this is always the hardest ask for any nonprofit worker, if you've got some money, <laughs> if you've got the wherewithal to, to take brave action with, from a financial standpoint, whether you are a CEO or someone with a little bit of, uh, you know, with, with that little bit of your, of your paycheck that you like to, to set aside for donations on an, a monthly or yearly basis, please exercise that power, leverage that, that, that power and energy, especially towards the smaller nonprofits, because I can tell you from firsthand experience, your contribution, it can do so much. So you've heard my story as a domestic violence survivor and a single mother of two, who's a volunteer manager. Your contribution might just be able to help me keep doing what I do. And I do this with a whole lot of passion. So if you want to empower people like me to do what I do best, and to empower you to do what you do best and to empower these our, our, our participants to do what they do best, your donations can go a really long way. So those would be my three, rec- well, my first recommendation is listen 
And those we, and then in terms of brave action, I think those three places are a really good place to start. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for this opportunity to bring all of this to the microphone and share it and talk about something that means a whole lot to me and to our whole team. I can tell you have fire in your heart. (laughs) (laughs) Only way to live. Yeah. Thank you for your time. And of course, we'll link everything in the show notes so people can find you your podcast as well as of course capacity and learn more about your programs as well as if and how they can um, get involved amazing thank you thank you for what you're doing if after this powerful conversation you want to learn more about capacity and or Kathleen all the links are in the show notes from the capacity website to Kathleen's podcast and as you know if you've been here before (laughs) I would love if you could hop over to iTunes and or and Spotify and give the podcast, give this episode five stars. It really helps to move the momentum up to create more visibility for the strong messages that are being shared on this podcast. So thank you for doing so. Email me with any questions you have, any feedback you want to share, any wishes for podcast episodes. I'm always very happy to hear from you. Now, as Kathleen shared with us, listen and share stories.